Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Chris, very much indeed. Week six, who do you think you are? All the podcasts and everything are in the usual place, uh, together with all the notes and all of that sort of stuff. Let's dig right in, shall we? Uh, God is sovereign. Uh, we are secure. Same format for the titles every week. Something about God makes something true about us. Something that is true about God helps me to understand something that is true about me. If I try and understand the truth about me without any reference to God or with an incorrect understanding of the truth about God, then my understanding of myself will be warped and incorrect and I'll live out of that wrong identity. And we see people desperate to find out who they are and people living out of a wrong sense of identity left, right and center in the world in which we live. As we think then about people living out of a wrong sense of identity, there is a characteristic which we find all over the place when we think about human beings. There is a feature among humanity that is almost universal. In fact, I dare to say is universal. Some of us are good at covering it up. Others of us express it in ways to uh, pretend that we don't have it at all. Others of us wear it on our sleeve in various circumstances. I'm talking about fear. Fear. There is a lot of fear within human beings. Fear of acceptance. Fear of the future. Fear of dying. Fear of not fitting in. Fear of failing in some way. And so we could go on fear upon fear upon fear. Fear is paralyzing. It's like someone stands on our windpipe when we feel afraid. It has very physical implications for our our bodies. We begin to stress out. Our bodies begin not to function in the way that they should as fear closes in around us. And there's fear and anxiety at all levels. There's a sense in which there's a a kind of corporate fear about certain things up here, right the way down to very inner personal fears. So we were afraid to be in Europe, and now we're afraid to leave Europe. That's not true of everybody, of course, but in a general sense, some of that is generally uh, true for all kinds of different reasons. We are afraid of... uh, leadership in different ways. There's an anxiety about leadership in our culture, political leadership in particular. We're afraid of terrorism, and what happened this last week has done nothing to help us in that. More personally, or perhaps uh, not so personally, we, we fear economics, the economic stability around us. We fear our own economics and our own ability to pay our way. We're afraid of pensions. We're afraid of the future for our children and for our grandchildren. It's not hard to paint a picture of human beings that are anxious, fearful, pessimistic, and on times quite hopeless. Hopeless because we feel helpless. 
There are these huge giants, organizations, systems, cultures that seemingly rule the world. And we are vulnerable and helpless pawns tossed about in a game over which it feels like we have no control. Is that our true identity? Is that what's really true about being in Christ in 2017? Are we helpless and vulnerable? Are we at the mercy of fears and anxieties that wash over us just as the tide comes in and goes out day by day? We're going to meet a group of people that are facing, or did face, the same crisis that we might feel we are facing today. 600 years before Jesus, the people of God encountered a crisis which forced them to face the vulnerability of what it means to be human. Jerusalem, their flagship city, had been unbelievably, they couldn't have imagined it happening, unbelievably, Jerusalem had been conquered and destroyed. Many of their best men had been taken away into exile to live in the evil pagan culture of Babylon. The gods, small g, towered, literally big idols, towered over Babylon as a testimony, as a story to how powerful they were. And their god, big G, seemed in the face of these gods quite powerless. Scared, vulnerable, oppressed, and without hope, the events of their world 2,600 years ago threatened to overwhelm them. When we are overwhelmed by events, is descent into panic and fear our only option? Isaiah gives 10 or so chapters in his book in the Old Testament to try and help God's people not to succumb to the obvious sense of fear and panic and hopelessness that in their humanity they were vulnerable to. I wonder whether the panic and fear, as it was for them, can also be worse for us as Christians. You see, in a way, you would imagine that we are protected from panic and fear, But I wonder if it's a double-edged sword. Because not only do we struggle with what's happening physically in our world, not only does it raise all kinds of questions on a physical level, what happens in our world also challenges us spiritually. It creates, as it did for those guys 2,600 years ago, a spiritual crisis. What they struggled with the most was the spiritual question. Where was God when Jerusalem was conquered? Where was God when they were taken, chained into exile? Where was God when they walked into the uh, culture, atmosphere of Babylon that was in different ways uh, personified in, in the Bible as being evil beyond evil, evil personified? Where was God as his people found themselves in that place? Or in other words, where was God on Westminster Bridge at 2 p.m. last Wednesday afternoon? These things create a spiritual crisis as well as a physical one for us. 
Are the gods of terrorism and hate and economic power and oppression the true gods that are ruling our world? And if that is so, then is our identity simply to be pawns in a much bigger game over which we have no meaningful control? As I said, it's into that situation 2,600 years ago that Isaiah begins to speak some very important words. This is Isaiah chapter 43, and we're just going to use one verse from there and then flit around a bit. Grab hold of a Bible, that would be a good thing to do. And open it, that would be a second good thing to do. And find the book of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah is roughly in the middle, there or thereabouts, slightly left of center. 728, brilliant. Welcome Pat and Peter, back from Tenerife. The weather here is not dipped below 23 degrees. Uh, and uh, it's quite chilly this morning for us, and we've got out our old winter clothes. It's good to have you back. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. So they're facing our reality. These people are facing our crisis. These people are threatened with fear and panic and being disorientated and being out of control. You know that moment when you think, what on earth is happening? On Wednesday, we felt that in a, in a corporate sense, but you'll know it when you feel it in an individual sense, when your world suddenly begins to implode, and you think, what on earth is going on? Uh, 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 on Wednesday afternoon, suddenly tweets were praying for London, and you think, oh my word, what's just happened? Uh, and, and you will know that in your own life, when a message comes, something happens, you think, oh, oh my word, how has this happened to me right now? Well, that's the situation that these people were in. Like, how on earth has this happened? How have we found ourselves as God's people now in this place? How has tragedy come in this kind of way? But now, this is what the Lord says. That's the first step into recovering our true identity. It's not what we say, it's not what we think, it's not how we respond, but it's what God says. What does He say is true? This is what the Lord says. He who created you, He who formed you, O Israel. Again, a reminder of where our identity should come from. It's about what God says. It's about how he made us. It's about who we are because of what he said and how he's made us. Our identity is received, not achieved. It's received, not achieved or earned. And then these words, fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. That wonderful thing. You are mine. That line really struck me in that song that we sang earlier, the the majesty one. You know, majesty. That didn't help you, did it? And there's a line in there. um, uh, You'll have to help me now because it's gone. Standing. um, it's, It's about knowing God's desire for us. What's that line? Second verse. Knowing that I'm your desire. And what I just felt the Spirit whisper is this. I would love my people to know that I desire them. I would love my people to know that I desire them. And we're not sure about that, are we? Because sometimes we don't even desire ourselves. And it's not, a, it's not that we're ignoring all the sin, all the wrong, all the muck, because then it says we're sanctified by glory and fire. Not that we're getting our theology from a song, but it happens to be true in this instance. And God whispers, I want you to know that I desire you. I love you. You are mine. So fear not. 
Were the exiled people in Babylon afraid? Absolutely. They were terrified. And quite frankly, so would we be. And so are we. We're afraid that this world is out of control. We're afraid of what terrorists might do. We're afraid of what might be the consequences of our foreign policy, our refugee policy, our immigrant policy, or not. We're afraid of economic instability. We're afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid of the total breakdown in society that makes us wonder, what kind of world will my grandchildren grow up in? And every generation has asked that question, strangely enough, more or less. Into that situation, into our situation, the God of heaven says, fear not. And just in case you've forgotten who he is, because of the towering giants of the Babylonian gods, he says, remember, I've created you, I've formed you, and you are mine. Your true identity is to live without fear. Your true identity is to live without fear. But how? Because to be honest, we're afraid. We were then and we are now. In the vulnerability of being human, fear grips us most of the time. What's the use in telling us not to be afraid when we're scared out of our minds? Have you ever done that as a parent to your child and you realize how ridiculous you sound? Your child is terrified and you go, don't be afraid. And we hear it as adults also. You can tell me not to be afraid, but I feel like I have no control of it. This fear is out of control in my mind and in my heart. This fear is controlling me. I'm under it, not on top of it. You can tell me all you like not to be afraid, but I'm scared witless. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And justifiably so, it would seem. Because just like in those days... It appeared like the Babylonian gods, the gods of this world, they might be different in a way, they might get different expression uh, now than they did in Babylonian times, but those same gods seem to be all-powerful. They seem to be so strong that the world is held in its grip and cannot be released from it. And we're left wondering, is our God really strong enough? Is he powerful enough to rescue us from the waves that crash against the shores of our lives? And it's that question that Isaiah spends a lot of these chapters trying to help the people see. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 for a little while. So just turn there now. Hopefully you've still got it open in front of you. And what Isaiah is trying to do is to help God's people Remember who God is, so therefore they will know who they are. If we forget who God is, we will forget who we are. But as we remember and see who he is, so our true identity rises up within us. Verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. You who bring good news to Zion, to Jerusalem, or to the people... Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not... What? Oh, there it is again. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, say what? Here is your God. Shout out from the rooftops. 
Whatever's going on in life, whatever would pull you down, drag you down, take your eyes uh, to another place, shout from the rooftops, this is your God. May your God take center stage of your sight, your mind, and your heart. This is your God. Not any old God, but yours. Discovering your true identity is rooted in discovering who our God is. My God. It's a plea that God's identity will be proclaimed and honored and restored. And then we get a whole sermon from the prophet, which I'm going to uh, summarize for us now. And remember, this is not just any old God. This is your God and this is my God. Verse 6 and 7, your God is the Lord of human rulers. He's the Lord of human rulers. Just soak in the joy of that on a Sunday morning. All peoples are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail because the breath of the Lord blows on them. You know that, what's, what, what do you call that thing where you go, one o'clock, two o'clock, what's that? Dandelion. I thought dandelions were yellow. Seeds? I don't know what you're talking about. You've gone way outside my horticultural knowledge now. Anyway, you know, you blow and it's gone. Listen to what Isaiah is saying. Get a grip, people, he says. Get a grip. Your God is the Lord of human rulers. Now, now think about what's happened. There were some very, very powerful rulers, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, that ruled the whole of the Roman, uh, of the Babylonian world. They had conquered nearly every nation, every people group that was known about. Everyone was under them, subjugated by them and serving them. And these massive gods towered over in honor of these great leaders. And Isaiah says, remember your God, he blows on them and they're gone. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Our God is so big that with one breath, all the power and might of the Babylonians, gone. The people of Israel needed to know that their destiny was not at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar or King Darius, but at the hands of the living God. The people of God all over the world need to know that our lives are not ultimately in the hands of the Donald Trumps and the Theresa Mays of our world. Nothing political about that, but that's the truth, that our one breath, and they're gone. They're merely there somehow in God's sovereignty because he allows them to be there, be it the leaders of North Korea or take any other part of the world that we know. The rogue states of the Middle East that seem out of control, the terrorism that seems also globally powerful and in control of our hearts, one breath, and they're gone. However powerful human leaders appear to become, whatever might they appear to wield, however significant they seem to us, they are like a blade of grass fluttering in the wind compared to our God. Your God is the Lord of human rulers, but he's also the Lord of creation, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Can you remember the scales in school when you put weights on that side and what you were trying to weigh on that side? Some of you are old enough to remember those. Some of you go, oh, these guys over here go, oh, what? what? It just comes up the little number, how much it weighs. Well, it didn't always just come up the little number. And you put the little weights outside until you balance it up. 
And, and what, what Isaiah is saying is picture the scales, the scales that are used to balance things up. You've got the whole of creation on one side, but God is so much bigger than greater. He can put creation on a weighing scales and just balance it all out and see how much it weighs. A sense of being totally above it and beyond it, totally transcendent and outside it, totally within his grasp and his control. He is the Lord of creation. But more, and I think this is, in a sense, even more beautiful, he is the Lord of history. Verse 13, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? In other words, God just knows. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the middle. He knows what has happened, what will happen. He just knows it all. There's nothing outside his knowledge. And I find that incredibly reassuring. Because there are moments in my life, and maybe in yours too, when panic rises because you're not sure what's going to happen next. That's just me then. God is never panicked. God is never on the back foot. In all the mess, all the tragedy, all the shock, all the trauma, God knows. He is never caught off guard. He never sits in heaven and has a conversation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that was a surprise. We've got no idea what to do next. There is for me an absolute security in knowing that God knows. That that there's nothing that takes him off balance There's nothing that thinks, my golly, if we don't act quickly, it's all going to go terribly wrong. Because he knows the end from the beginning. It's history. In that sense, it's his story. God is not shocked or panicked. He's the Lord of human rulers. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of history. Verse 15, he's the Lord of nations. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. The whole scale metaphor again. But think about the bucket metaphor for a minute. The drop on a bucket. You know when you, you, you fill up a bucket and then you pour it all out and the, there's some drops that cling to the side of the bucket? Well, it's that kind of image. It's like the nations to God, they're just so small. There's like, like drops that are clinging to the side of the bucket that can be wiped away with a cloth or with the palm of your hand. Great nation states rise up and threaten us. But Isaiah says, remember that even when a great nation rises up and threatens us, it's just like a little drop on the side of a bucket to God. Get it into perspective, says Isaiah to these people. Lord of human rulers, Lord of creation, Lord of history, Lord of nations, Lord of religions, verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. Lebanon was where all the forests were. And what Isaiah is saying is that if you knocked down all the forests, if you took the Amazon rainforest, it's that kind of image, that kind of metaphor, if you took the Amazon rainforest away and you made an altar out of all of that wood, it wouldn't be enough for our God. It doesn't matter what you think you can do in ritual or religious observance, it can never match who he is. Which is why we need grace, because it doesn't matter how many times we sing a song to God, it can never be enough. It doesn't matter how many times we do a good thing for God, it can never be enough. It doesn't matter how many times we do a religious ritual, even a good and proper religious ritual, it can never be enough, because he's way beyond all that stuff. And sometimes we bring God down to our level, and we think, God will be really chuffed that I've done this. And and we've lost sight of the magnitude, the glory of who he is. Lord of human rulers, Lord of creation, Lord of history, Lord of nations, Lord of religions, Lord of all competitors, verse 18. So with whom then, this is Isaiah's punchline if you like, with whom then are you going to compare God? You see, they were comparing God with all these idols in Babylon. They were going, well, these idols in Babylon, we thought they were just powerless gods, small g, but they seem to be quite powerful because we're no longer in Jerusalem. We're here. Jerusalem isn't standing anymore and Babylon looks full of glory, to be honest, at a human, secular, even evil level. 
So, so the, they're making these comparisons all the time. And, and Isaiah is saying, it's ridiculous. You can't even begin to make any comparisons because all of these gods, their images, their idols, you give a, a craftsman a bit of metal and he makes it into an idol and then you worship it. It's nuts. And we might read that and we might say, that's nuts, isn't it? Who would be as daft as that? But there are daft things like that that we do all of the time. When we give our allegiance, our worship, our faith, our commitment, the things that we know are just made up. Just made up. God is much bigger than these idols. In fact, he's Lord of the universe, verse 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out. That's your identity right there, by the way. The people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out. That was a joke. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Thank you for not even humoring me. Um, So your God is the Lord of the universe. He spreads them out like a tent to live in or or spreads out. It's like a pair of curtains or putting up a tent. And uh, they didn't have fancy tents with poles and little bendy poles, you know, in the Old Testament. They didn't get sort of a pop-up tent. They, but they did have like, like ropes and they'd, they'd stretch out the canvas. They'd stretch out a pair of curtains. And it's just this image of, of God says, well, let the universe be, so I'll just stretch it out. That's how big he is. That's how magnificent he is. That's how powerful he is. And then I love the last one. The last one's a bit of a joke, really. The last one's a bit of a dig. Um, it's slightly non-PC. It's all that sort of stuff. The last one is this. Your God is Lord of the astral powers. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So in other words, God creates all the stars and he holds all of them there. They've all got names and it's all magnificent. And the reason that was kind of cheeky and not very PC is that the Babylonians worshipped the stars. He says, don't, be, don't lose sight, people of God. What's going on here? You're in danger of thinking that the Babylonians are all powerful and almighty, but they worship the very things your God created. So the summary verse, verse 25 again, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. This is our God, sovereign, in control, never thwarted. Never taken off guard, never panicked, never wondering what's going to happen next, never feeling insecure about himself or his identity in the world. This is our God, Lord, not just of the nations, but of history itself. Lord, not just of creation, but the whole universe of which we only know a little bit. Therefore, therefore, in him, I am secure. I am safe. I am certain. I am guaranteed some things. That's my identity because I'm in him and I'm with him and I belong to him. And your true identity, therefore, is to live without fear. And the psalmist celebrates it again and again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There is no place too deep, too far, too bad for God to have left or let go of me. And as we grasp our true identity, we can begin to take our stand against the way that fear rules us. Now fear comes, as I said, in very different guises. It's easy to say, well, I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Sometimes people say, actually, I'm not afraid. I, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, be honest then about what your vulnerabilities. 
and we can't do that because you're afraid. We're all afraid of something somewhere. So I will not fear God, firstly, and three points to come into land very quickly. I will not fear God because God holds me tight. God holds me tight. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's brilliant, isn't it? God's right hand will hold me fast, even if I wander off. It's not that he'll only hold on to me as long as I do the right things, and as long as I stay a good little Christian. He will hold on to me even, when I, even if I go to the far side of the sea. Even if I lose my mind and wander off into the depth somewhere, his right hand will hold me fast. Famously, we say that nothing in all of creation, neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present or the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all creation. Nothing. What is it in creation that makes you afraid? What is it that you fear? And if you say I'm not afraid of anything, frankly, I don't believe you. Just because I've talked to you and you've talked to me. Where are you afraid? Where do you need to put in that verse, nothing in all creation, not even X, will separate me from the love of God. Not even a tragedy, a suffering, a terrorist attack, a, a, a political leader, a rogue nation, a whatever, whatever it is. Not even losing my job or running out of money, discovering there's no pension, whatever it is. Discovering that I'm ill, I'm sick, whatever it is. Nothing in all creation, including X, can ever separate me from the love of Christ. From the love of God, sorry, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, sometimes we need to name it and own it. And go, I've been living afraid of that. But that has no fear of me. Because nothing in creation can separate me from the love of God. You with me? And sometimes we need to own it and name it. You see, if we're going to conquer fear, we won't conquer fear by going, I'd like to conquer some fear. We will conquer fear by not being afraid. And the reason we cannot be afraid is because we let the truth burn through our veins. I'm not going to stand for it anymore. I'm not going to let fear rob me of joy and peace. I'm not going to let fear take all my emotional energy so I can't do what God wants me to do because I'm too busy being afraid. Anyone know what I'm talking about? No way. Because I'm in Christ and nothing, not even that thing that makes me afraid is going to separate me from God. Hallelujah. So I will not fear because God holds me tight or holds me fast. doesn't mean he holds me quickly. It means he holds me secure. God holds me fast. Secondly, I will not fear because God is the ultimate script writer. He's writing the story in the end. And I know that raises all kinds of questions. I know that if we were writing the story, we wouldn't have written in Wednesday afternoon. And I'm not for a moment saying that God writes it in deliberately in that sense. That's not my point at all. But there is a story that's being written. And we might not understand what's on every page. We might not even understand several chapters of the story. But you know, we know how it ends. And it's like you're watching a Netflix series. No, good Christians, none of you have done that. And you get to the end of season one, and the main character, in the way that it's portrayed, is certain to die. And you think, "Uh huh, that can't possibly be true, because we've still got six more seasons to go. It's like that in our kingdom life. 
It looks like all's gone wrong. It looks like everything's lost. But you go, ha ha, we've still got that to go. You with me? So it doesn't matter that it feels like it's all falling apart. It doesn't matter that it's the end of season one and it looks like all hope is lost. We know all hope is not lost because we know the end of the story. It's his story. And he's writing the script. He's not just the beginning. He'll also be the end. And there is something absolutely certain about that for our lives. It's a gift to us. Just like Good Friday, when everything was lost, or so it seemed. It couldn't have got worse on Good Friday. Our only hope, God himself comes to earth and we nail him to a cross. But just at that moment of utter hopelessness, the script writer is doing his genius. And there is a sense, and I know sometimes in it we look at it negatively because we're overwhelmed with shock and trauma and pain and stuff. But there is a genius to step back and to go, God, how are you going to work some good out of this situation? Because that's his promise. You know, it seems at the time quite a kind of um, intellectual, theoretical exercise. But to stand back and go, how's God going to work some good out of this? Because that's what he promised. And how in the end is it all going to come out to God's fulfilled purpose? He's the one who writes the story. We don't understand all the chapters. Certainly not some of the pain on maybe what you feel like are many of the pages. But in the end, he's writing history to his glorious conclusion. Finally, I will not fear because God is my God. He's yours as well, but I need to know for me and you need to know for you. So let us run with perseverance, the race marked down, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, if we're to rise up and conquer fear, our eyes need to be on him. Fear is like a stubborn weeble. Anyone know what a weeble is? You guys, Joel, do you know what a weeble is? No, no idea. Fantastic toys for kids. Over, over, but won't fall down. It's like a little wobbly thing, and you'd push it, and it'd pop back up. Yeah, that was the fun. It was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. It was like cod for kids. Push it down, pop back up. Push it down, pop back up. Fear's like that. But then there's the killer blow when the weeble just smashes and the stronghold of fear, whatever that is in our lives, is broken. How do you keep pushing it down? Well, it's about where you are looking. Let us fix our eyes on who? On Jesus, because he's writing the story. On Jesus, because he is the Lord of all these things that we're talking about. And when their storm blew up in the boat and Jesus came walking on the water and Peter was in the boat and Peter said, hey, if it's you, can I come to you? And, uh, and Jesus said, come. He stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. And then what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at what? What does it say? He looked at the waves and the wind and then what did it say? And he was afraid. If your eyes are in the wrong place, you will actually nurture and foster the fear that's already within you. And none of us in the cold light of day want to give fear a chance in our lives. It's all about where we're looking. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Fear comes from where we're looking. And Isaiah is saying to those guys, hey, you've been looking at the Babylonians and you've been looking at their gods. Get your eyes off all that and look to the one who is truly, truly true. And as Chris read Psalm 93 some moments ago, that's exactly it. Get your eyes on this God. The Lord, it says, Isaiah Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Firm and secure. 
Your throne, O God, was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. The seas themselves are a reminder of God's great power. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. And so we make our response. And I'm aware how easy it is for my identity to be shaped in all the things that go on around me and breed fear and foster anxiety and make me feel vulnerable, make me feel scared and uncertain. And the Word of God comes smashing into that today and says, no, no, fix your eyes on the God who is above all. Fix your eyes on the God who's writing the story, even though we don't understand how it's all going to play out right now. We know where it gets to. Fix your eyes on the God who's not just some God, but your God and my God. Let's pray. I will not fear because God will hold me fast. I will not fear because God is the ultimate scriptwriter, And with a stroke of genius, he'll turn Good Friday into Resurrection Sunday. He's done it then and he'll do it now. I will not fear because this God is my God. And he never, ever Let's me go. Spirit of God, would you wash over us the truth of these words? Would you place our feet on a solid rock? And would you put a fresh song of praise in our hearts? Let's stand together.